Good morning. Good to see you here today. I, I know we are um, in strange times. Uh, you know, we, we got to, I think I've sent it out to everyone now, but uh, we, we got to, we, we support a ministry, uh, the Philemon um, Project uh, run by Robbie Hamd in, uh, in central Lebanon, in the area of Beirut, a whole lot. They have a, a ministry there in Beirut. And just talking about the explosion that uh, had happened in, in, in that city and um, just how devastating it was. It was really the grace of God that far, far more people did not perish in that. Um, uh, but uh, they had a ministry right there in downtown. I think that pretty much kind of got erased. And um, fortunately, none of the people that worked for the ministry there was killed. Some were injured, some. Um, but it's, uh, it's, 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 it's devastating. And I think somebody was just telling me, I heard them talking, they've even closed the, because of the COVID, you know, they've got all that stuff going and a lot of economic issues there. So uh, they've closed down the airport there in Beirut. And anyway, it just, uh, as bad as things are for us and that we kind of suffer the little things that we have to suffer, um, comparing to what our brethren are doing throughout the world, um, we really are much blessed. And, and we should always be given uh, God great thanks, uh, great thanks for that. I do want to make mention that we are getting ready to start a monthly, uh, this means once a month, um, uh, study. We're calling it the Association of Reformed Theology. And basically what that means is on the fourth Tuesday um, of the month, the first one will be this August uh, 25th at 7 p.m. here in the sanctuary, um, we're going to have a study. And, and the book we're kind of using is a book by a, game name, a gentleman named Herman Bavink. And I don't think many of you have ever heard of him. He is from a previous uh, generation, a, a Dutch theologian who, who has some very uh, solid and readable insights on our, our, how we understand the faith. And, and so he, he wrote a little, um, uh, we, it's a, we call it Systematic Theology. It's a, it's a serious book, um, but it's very readable, and it's called The Wonderful Works of God. And if you'd like to be a part of that, and to attend this, you don't have to get the book by any means, but if you'd like that, um, I really encourage you, you go to our website, there's a place where you can sign up for it, and you say, We're, I'm coming, and I want to order a book. I think if you get it through Amazon, I saw it's like $42, but if we can get it for $25. Uh, so if you want to do that, you can order it right there, and um, uh, you can start kind of working through that a little bit. You may not read the whole thing, but it would be a good thing to have um, on, on your um, um, your shelf for, 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 for all kinds of study. And so I really want to encourage you to be a part of that. Again, it's going to be once a month on the fourth Tuesday of the month. The first one's going to be August 25th, and we'll get more information to you on that. That Bible study is sponsored by the Association for Reformed Theology, uh, which we made up. Like. There's no such thing. We thought that sounds really cool. But let me tell you, let me tell you about, uh, about the study, just, just to hear more, just something to say here. It's, it's, a, it's a challenging book. This is a book that you might expect to maybe read in, in like a uh, first year in seminary type of book. And so uh, it may not be for everybody, but uh, we, you know, we kind of faced with this idea of how do you, how do you begin to do Bible study or, or anything like programming in COVID time and do social distancing. So we decided we would do them uh, with, with something at the pulpit. Someone would speak and maybe answer some questions. And then everyone would be able to social distance throughout the sanctuary. And, and uh, uh, we will, we're, we're going to have this book. If you want to get into study, you can go to our website. There is a place on the website which you can purchase a book for $25. It's a form you can fill out and put your credit card number in there as well. 
uh, we will we'll have a syllabus that will come out. You can read along, and then uh, the, the study for the month will go along with the reading. So it should be a good time for us to be in the Word and, and be really challenged. And the truth is, what else are you going to do? Like, you've finished Netflix already. I mean, you've, you've done everything, right? So this would be a great use of your time to do a, a pretty in-depth Bible study. Um, you're at the right place at the right time to hear the gospel proclaimed this morning. And I'm so pleased that we're here together today. Uh, we, uh, our hearts are heavy with Dr. George Mall, a member and beloved friend of Lakeside, uh, who uh, what we had heard last night was not supposed to survive the evening uh, from his daughter. And so we continue. We haven't heard yet, uh, but... Uh, He's, he's had COVID-19 and been uh, on a vent for quite a while. Our hearts go out to, to, to Dr. Maul. Um, as we are called to worship this morning, uh, you are at the right place at the right time to hear the gospel proclaimed. I want to invite you to stand for our responsive call to worship. And uh, we proclaim our faith the same way that, that, that Christians have for generations by using that great uh, confession of faith, the Apostles' Creed. So Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated as we enjoy the ministry of music.
Gracious God, my heart renew. Make my spirit right and true. Cast me not away from thee. Let thy spirit dwell in me.
that sealed the promise. Your buried body began to breathe out of the silence. The roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me. Then came that morning that sealed the promise. Your buried body began to breathe out of the silence. The roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me. Jesus, yours is the The Apostle John writes, Then the angels showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Now let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, you are the one who pours forth mercy and grace from the throne of God and the Lamb. The one who has given eternal access to the tree of life. The one who promises to bring full and final healing to the nations. The one who has lifted the curse through him who was accursed, crucified on the cross of your wrath. We give thanks this day for the gospel. The glad tidings that Jesus came to save the chief of sinners, even us. Like John the Baptist, we can only declare, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world.
Lord, impress this gospel upon our souls. Teach us to grasp it even as it has grasped us. Let the love that marks all your gracious dealings with your people be the love that controls us. As Christ has died for us, we have died in him, that we would no longer live for ourselves, but him who for our sake suffered and was raised from the dead. Through our sins we confess, we crucify again in our hearts our precious Savior. Yet, you have promised to be with us forever. Imprinted your name on our souls. Become our light and darkness. And destined us to reign forever and ever. Lord, we thank you for your patience. Indeed, your steadfast love covers a multitude of sins. Even now, extend the gift of conviction, confession, and repentance. Lord, we do make special requests that you be with the Maul family now. At a time uh, that is so difficult, let them understand and believe that even in death, we have life. Father, in light of these precious realities, we bring our tithes and our offerings, worship that is sanctified by the eternal blood of your covenant. Bless them to your kingdom. And for that kingdom, we petition and labor, not least in our prayers, saying, Our Father... Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. sent his son they called him Jesus he came to love heal and forgive he lived and died to buy my pardon an empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives because he lives I can face tomorrow because he lives all fear is gone because I know he holds the future and life is worth a living just because he lives how sweet to hold a newborn baby and feel the pride and joy he gives but greater still the calm assurance this child can face uncertain days because he lives because he lives i can face tomorrow because he lives all fear is gone because i know 
It's a good thing that we don't have police to, to kind of make sure people aren't singing underneath their masks. Because I know there were a lot of y'all singing along with that last song, uh, God is Good. You know, about, uh, about a year ago, uh, I had an opportunity to go to the Civil Rights Museum uh, down in Jackson with a buddy. Uh, Sutton called me, and, and Kami was studying. She was in nursing school, and, and you know, I was, I was what they call like a, 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 a nursing school widower. You know, she'd just study all day, and I'd just sit alone and be lonely. And, and he called and said, come on, man, let's, 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 go, let's go see. It's, uh, it's MLK Day. Let's go see the Civil Rights Museum. And so we went down there. And I don't know how many of you have gotten to see it, but it's, it's a beautiful museum. And uh, I think that Sutton and I were a couple of the only white folks there when we went. And it happened to be MLK Day. So it was really kind of a moving experience for both of us to kind of walk through that museum and see all that. And one of the stories that really impacted me was the story of Emmett Till. I'm not sure how many of you know the story. Emmett Till was a a 14-year-old boy. Now, he came uh, from Chicago, was his hometown. So he came from Chicago to vacation in the summer of 1955 into the hustling, bustling metropolis of Money, Mississippi. And while Emmett Till was on vacation, he found himself in a small grocery store. Now, the clerk behind the store was a a 21-year-old married white woman named Carolyn Bryant. And although what happened in the store is a matter of great dispute, apparently 14-year-old Emmett Till was accused of flirting with or or whistling at this 21-year-old married Bryant. And Bryant would later testify that Emmett Till had made physical and verbal advances. Uh, She would say that the boy had had grabbed her around her waist while uttering obscenities. Uh, Now these were serious accusations, especially at this time in uh, Jim Crow uh, history in Mississippi, 
and, and being from Chicago, good chance that Emmett Till might not have yet realized how serious this woman's allegations were. Several days after the incident at the grocery store, Carolyn Bryant's husband and her husband's half-brother went to Emmett Till's uncle's house where they found the 14-year-old boy and took him out by gunpoint and drove him out to the country where they mutilated him, shot him in the head, and sunk his body in the Tallahatchie River as a result of the testimony of one woman. In 2008, uh, in an interview with historian Timothy Tyson, Carolyn Bryant, this 21-year-old woman from the store, who was now 72 years old in 2008, would finally admit that she had fabricated the most sensational parts of her testimony. Specifically, she admitted that the 14-year-old Till had never, in fact, grabbed her by the waist or spoken obscenities to her. Uh, unfortunately, 51 years had passed since the child was lynched, all because of the false testimony of a 21-year-old woman. Fast forward 64 years, and instead of moving from Chicago to Mississippi, let's go back to Chicago. January 2019, just very recently, an early morning phone call came in to Chicago police that a young gay black man who was walking on the East Lower North Water Street at 2 o'clock in the morning had been attacked, and his attackers were two white men wearing ski masks. The testimony given by the victim was this, that while he was walking out at night at 2 a.m. in the morning in the cold, some unknown assailants grabbed him. They poured bleach all over his body. They placed a noose around his neck, and they beat him above the face and shoulders. This victim was a famous actor by the name of Jesse Smollett. Smollett testified to police that his attackers were, in fact, two white males wearing face masks, and they were uttering racial and homophobic slurs. According to the uh, Smollett, the men uttered, this is MAGA country. As you might imagine, public outrage was off the charts. Public officials began to speech, speak out against such attacks, comparing the attacks uh, to modern-day lynchings, similar to what had happened to Emmett Till so many years before. And the world was outraged, rightly so. How could this kind of behavior go unpunished? However, on February 20th, 2019, the victim, Mr. Jesse Smollett himself, was charged by a grand jury with a Class 4 felony for filing a false police report. Apparently, his attackers were two Nigerian brothers, and they were associates of Smollett. He had staged the entire thing. Smollett had paid these brothers to rough him up and to do so in such a way that implied a racial and a homophobic hatred. Chicago Police Superintendent Eddie T. Johnson held a press conference in which he spoke about Smollett, asking, why would anyone, especially an African-American man, use the symbolism of a noose to make false accusations? How could someone look at the hatred and suffering associated with a noose and see an opportunity to manipulate that symbol to further his own public profile? Today marks uh, the ninth week that we have been studying together the Ten Commandments. And today we'll be exploring the Ninth Commandment. Here's how the Ninth Commandment reads. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. 
The stories I've shared are examples of, of giving false testimony. In both cases, false testimony caused great pain. In the case of Emmett Till, it cost the life of a 14-year-old boy, and it broke the heart of a nation. In the case of Jesse Smollett, our country was a tinderbox, and Smollett was willing to soak it in gasoline and throw a match upon it, seemingly for the sake of his career. At the very foundation, this idea of bearing a false testimony against our neighbors destroys justice. I want to read together today from the Ten Commandments. We're going to read all of them. That's kind of been our tradition as we've walked through this. I figured like there was something healthy about us hearing all the Ten Commandments for ten weeks in a row, like, like not just the one we were talking on, like we'd read them all. Uh, so uh, I, I want to talk more about how we break the Ninth Commandment today, but before we do that, I want to read all Ten Commandments again. If you're able to stand, I want to invite you to do so now. We're going to be reading from Exodus 20, verses 1 through 17. Before we read this together, let's, uh, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you for uh, your love for us. We thank you for creation. We thank you for your word, which is uh, laid out before us as you revealed how it is that we can please you, what it is your will is for our life. And so we come uh, to, to these Ten Commandments of your holy word. God, we just pray for, uh, for conviction. We pray that your spirit would be doing its work in and amongst us. That we wouldn't hear these words and, and think, wow, some people are liars. Instead, God, we would hear these words and think, God, I am a liar. May Christ forgive me. Um, God, we thank you for your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear now the word of the Lord, Exodus 20, first verse. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the waters under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Church, the grass will wither and the flowers will fade. The word of our Lord will stand forever. And this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. I think to understand the ninth commandment, we need to understand its, its intended context. The immediate context for the ninth commandment, it, it's really simple. It's, it's a court of law. Uh, it, 
It is meant to govern the legal testimony of a witness in a trial. So if we understand that, I think it would help a little bit more to understand more about the justice system in the ancient world. What, what was justice like in the ancient world? Well, in those days, people charged with a crime had little protection. You know, our, our country does a great job of protecting people who are charged with crimes. But back in that day, if someone had said so-and-so did something, uh, they were presumed guilty until you proved them innocent. It's the very opposite of our standard today. Uh, it, it, there weren't really many good standards for presenting evidence to a judge or a jury. Sometimes you weren't even given the opportunity to prevent a, or to mount a defense for yourself. Oftentimes in the ancient world, courts were willing to convict someone on the testimony of one single witness. And, and can you imagine that it would come down to your word versus somebody else and someone just comes up and says, you killed somebody. You're like, I, I didn't. And they said, no, we saw you. And, and because of that, that was all the evidence that was needed to end your life. Because, I mean, think about it at this time. This is a time in history where many, many things are treated as capital offense. Uh, at this time, remember, if you stole something, you took someone's phone, you took something away from somebody, you would have your hand cut off. Uh, many things, the penalty for them was death at this time. So the words of a false witness could easily cost someone their life. The justice system, however, was different for Israel. God had entrusted Israel with his word, and as a result, the justice system in Israel was more just. Uh, if someone was accused of a crime in Israel, they appeared before a jury of elders. And, and that's really great. I mean, the, the, as Presbyterians, we, we, we love the idea of elders. We love the idea of a jury of elders. Deuteronomy 19.15 describes part of Israel's judicial system. And we're going to read a couple places in, in Deuteronomy 19 because it's really, it's this kind of run through of what the judicial system would look like in Israel. We'll start with verse 15. It says this, A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. So we're going to need more than one witness. Only the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. So this is the word of God, and what God's basically saying is like, if someone's going to come and bring a legal uh, testimony against you, that there's going to need to be at least one, hopefully two more people, uh, because people are prone to giving a false testimony. So they would require multiple witnesses to bring a charge. We, we, we look on a little bit more, Deuteronomy 19, verses 18 and 19 now. The judicial system of Israel is further described. It says this, the judges shall inquire diligently, and if the witness is a false witness and has accused his brother falsely, if they're a liar, then you shall do to him as he had meant to do to his brother. What did he meant to do to his brother? Like if you accuse somebody of something like murder, what he's trying to do is get the capital punishment on him. So if, if you've lied as a witness and you were about to have someone have to pay with their life for your lie, Basically, what Scripture says here in verse 19 is, so uh, then you shall do to him as he had meant to do to his brother, so you shall purge the evil from your midst. Can you imagine this in the middle of an investigation? The judge and jury say this case doesn't add up. It's obvious without a shadow of a doubt that somebody's lying. That false witness is now subject to the punishment that awaited the one that they were falsely accusing. Now, to be honest with you, I kind of like that, and I don't know why. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know. I just kind of think sometimes... People who uh, bear a false witness get off easy. 
In American courtrooms, uh, probably not many of us have had to go and be a, a witness or testify, but there is an oath that people swear before they go into a courtroom and give testimony. And my guess is, even though none of us have ever gone into a courtroom and, and testified, we all know the oath because we watch Perry Mason. And we like, like what is a new legal show that's on TV? Like, I can't even think of one. But there's always these like legal television shows that we all know. And, uh, and we know what it is to swear somebody in. They say, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. Right? We all, we, we're familiar with that. That kind of rolls off our tongue. And that oath is really nothing more uh, than a summary of the ninth commandment. There's, there's somewhere, somewhere in history, someone said, listen, if we're going to bring people up to testify, in our country, and this is what I love about our country, sometime in our country's history, we either come up and someone says, if they're going to testify, we need to remind them what the ninth commandment is and ask them to swear to obey it. That's basically what was happening there. And uh, imagine for a long time that, that, that carried a lot of weight for a lot of people to have to come up and testify, uh, so help me God. But not all people fear God. And not all people value truth. And if you don't fear God, being sworn in just doesn't matter that much anymore, right? I mean, maybe you're worried about the consequences of perjury in, in the legal system, but if you don't have any fear of an eternal consequence, what holds you to the truth? I think that people who give false testimony should have to pay a big price for their lie. Uh, Jesse Smollett, we talked about earlier, uh, somebody else paid his bail and they, were, they had to forfeit that $10,000 bail, and he was given community service. That's it. Carolyn Bryant, who made those false claims against Emmett Till, never saw any punishment. Oftentimes, accusers don't see any repercussions for their lies. In our country, we try really hard not to punish victims. And I'm thankful for this. I really am. I think this is the right way to do it. Victims need to be protected uh, but, uh, but these people who bear false testimony tend to abuse the rights that are set aside to protect innocent victims. If you don't believe me that this happens, I think kind of my challenge for you is try running for office. And if you run for an office that is big enough, someone is going to come forward to bear false witness against you. At least that's what the current trends show in our country. Our current president has had all kinds of allegations against him, um, and there's all kinds of of, of witnesses who knows if they're false who knows if they're true joe biden was accused by tara reed justice kavanaugh was accused by christy blasey ford who knows what the truth is we all have our opinions uh, i say this on either side though no matter where you fall I, I always find it awfully funny when accusers come forward in the middle of a political struggle one for national power and they have an accusation that's decades old. You know what? The courtroom is not the only place where someone can give false testimony. You understand this, right? I think as we understand the fullness of this commandment, we go, you don't have to just be sworn in before you're breaking the Ten Commandments. Like, you can be outside the courtroom. We could be in the church parking lot. And if I come up to you in the parking lot and I begin to tell a lie about one of our mutual acquaintances my friends, that is still bearing a false witness, even though it's outside of a courtroom. It's breaking the ninth commandment. Um, Jesus, when he kind of was reliving the ninth commandment in the New Testament, he said this idea of just let your yeses be yeses and let your noes be noes. 
Like, tell the truth whether you're sworn in or not. Don't worry about, about swearing oaths. Be an honest person. The horror of the ninth commandment is that anytime you lie about someone else, you have broken the law of God. You've robbed that person of justice in their community by being willing to alter the truth for your own causes. I wonder, has anyone ever told a lie about you? Like, like a big one that hurt, that kind of threatened maybe your job or threatened your reputation. Uh, some of you are kind of having to like, really do the work and kind of think through, and then the best you can come up with is high school. Others of you have one that's like really recent and, you, you know, it's painful. Uh, I, I remember when I was a youth director working with teenagers in Myrtle Beach, uh, I got a call on a Thursday morning from a parent uh, who was really upset with me for some things that I had said the night before at church. Uh, her 16-year-old son had come home and had reported to his mom that, that Tyson had used every four-letter word in the book at church the night before, and that he had just decided that he had to leave church early because he couldn't tolerate such behavior from someone who claimed to be a man of God working in the church. And now here I was getting a phone call from an angry mama. Uh, the only problem is that this certain young man had not attended one church function in over two months. And he sure hadn't been there the night before. Uh, I think what was happening is he was hopping in the car and he was telling mom he was going to church and he was spending that time doing something else. And I'm not sure if he accidentally got home early one day or mom saw him out and about. And he needed an alibi about why he was not in church, so he lied. What can I say? What could Tyson have done that would you know, offend me and keep me from going to church? Well, I became a foul-mouthed guy. Um, and his, this lie had this chain reaction. And what's funny is, uh, I was not the first person that this mother called. I, I wish I was. I wish she would have called me up and said, hey, hey, why did you do this? She first called a lot of people in the church for advice. Uh, she needed advice on how to deal with a potty-mouthed youth director. Like, what, what do I do? And now I had my, my reputation uh, demolished uh, because of this kid's false witness to his mother. I wonder if you've ever experienced something like that, where someone has, has told a lie, and, and the effect is that it really hurts you. Uh, I can even remember back to the first time anyone ever lied about me. It's funny. I can't remember much about kindergarten at all, but I remember this one time in kindergarten where a little girl uh, told a lie about me. Uh, we had a teacher. The teacher had left the kindergarten classroom, and while she was out of the room, there were some kids, and they were crawling on the floor under the tables and stuff like that. They were they're crawling around under the tables. And when, when the teacher came back, she was, she was trying to investigate, like, what, what happened while I was gone? There's obviously kids crawling on the table. There's mass chaos here. And she began to say, who, who was crawling under the table? Raise your hand now. And, and the guilty parties raised their hand. And I'll remember this till the day I die, that one little girl, the teacher's pet, I can't remember that brat's name, but she pointed at me and said, he was on the ground. And to this day, as dumb as it sounds, it makes me furious because it was a lie from the pit of hell. I was not on the floor. Every other kid that was crawling on the floor came clean, and I don't know what happened as a result. Maybe the teacher took away their animal crackers, but I denied it, and the teacher didn't like that one bit. And, uh, and she, I remember she took me out into the hall and had an assistant in there teaching the class, and she was trying to teach me a lesson about lying. This is what she assumed. She said, uh, I have witnesses, Tyson, that you were under the table, uh, and, and I need you to admit it, 
or else you're going to have to go to the principal and we're going to even have to call your mom. And, and my mom listens to all my sermons, so she's going to listen to this one. She's going to think this is hilarious. She's going to remember it for sure because it's kind of one of our family jokes because I didn't back down. She ended up calling, and because I, I think I looked at her, I said, well, you call my mom. And, and I, 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 here's what I know. Tyson Taylor is no floor crawler to this day. I swear it. Shame on us when we bend the truth to make somebody look bad. If you've ever experienced it, you know how it feels. It's not good at all. Uh, we fudge a lot of times on little details here and there to convince people to be on our side in a conflict. This is generally how we break this commandment, if I had to guess. Uh, you have a fight with somebody, and you need to process that fight. You need to, to, to talk it out. Uh, sometimes I struggle with this, because sometimes when I've been in a conflict, I find myself in need... Uh, to just talk about it over and over and over and over again. It's just because it's a way to process it. And when we go to people and we, and we begin to tell them about that conflict, what we do is we, uh, we leave certain parts out. We, we, we twist certain parts to make us look a little bit more righteous and the other person seem a little bit more guilty. It's just ever so slightly bending the truth, but it's breaking the ninth commandment. I want to just review. The context of the ninth commandment is found in the judicial system. It involves witnesses giving false testimony. Uh, but as with many of the other commandments, the ninth commandment goes much deeper. It involves telling lies outside of the courtroom as well. Here's where the ninth commandment gets a little bit tricky. It's possible to be telling the truth and to do so in a, such a way that is sinful. Uh, let me explain. The ninth commandment is often seen as covering all the ways we use our mouth to sin against our neighbors, right? And sometimes it's possible to sin even when you're speaking the truth. It's possible to break the ninth commandment and, and still be speaking the truth. And specifically what I'm talking about here is I'm thinking about the idea of gossip. Uh, gossip can be false and gossip can also be true. Let's just, for instance, let's just say you hear that, that one of uh, our mutual acquaintances loses their job, and the reason they lost their job is because they reached into the uh, cash register at work and they took some money from the cash register. Uh, now, that might be true, but if you start telling people about that because it's kind of the juicy news to talk about, and it gives you pleasure and it gives them pleasure, it's just gossip. Scripture seems to stand against gossip no matter whether it's true or not. And so, so I think to be helpful, let's define gossip before we go any further. What is gossip? I'll say it a couple times. Gossip is talking about others in such a way that it damages their reputation. Yeah, I think that's the working definition of gossip that we're going to use here. Gossip is, is talking about others in a way that damages their reputation, whether it's true or whether it's not. It, it, it's wrong on both ways. Proverbs 22.1 says this. It says, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than sil silver or gold. Um, this idea that, that your reputation is your treasure, and if we believe that our reputation is our treasure, the problem with gossip is that it steals a good name. It steals the treasure of a good name. Well, you may be thinking to yourself, well, if what they did is true, they don't deserve a good name, and I think that maybe we would say to you, well, if you're a gossip, you don't deserve a good name either. Uh, there have always been gossips, and there always will be gossips. And if we look at the book of Proverbs, you kind of just continue to read through Proverbs. Proverbs has no love for gossips. 
Gossips are specifically always talked about, called out in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 16, 28 says this, that a dishonest man spreads strife and a whisperer separates close friends. No love there. A dishonest man is the one who spreads strife and a whisperer separates close friends with his words. Proverbs 20, 19 says this, whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets Therefore, it's instructive for us who to spend time with. Therefore, do not associate with, people, uh, with a simple babbler. In other words, if, if you've got someone in your life who's a gossip, don't associate with them. That's, that's what the Proverbs would say. Philip Ryken, author, says this. He says, when you gossip behind someone's back, even if it turns out to be true, you never have let that person have a chance to explain or to clarify their motives uh, you have them charged, tried, convicted in a court of public opinion. Do you know why people gossip so much? Do you know why you and I tend to do it so much? It's because it feels good to have the scoop. It feels good to have the inside track. We love it. There's a high that comes whether or not we're sharing good gossip or whether or not we're receiving good gossip. There's a high you get for doing both those things. Proverbs, the way that, that Proverbs will say that as it says, the words of a whisperer are like a delicious morsel. Right? We love it. We love hearing the gospel. Um, and you know the best way to stop a gossip? The best way for you to stop a gossip is to refuse to listen to them. We have to refuse to feed on the delicious morsels of other people's business. There's an old rabbinic saying that goes something like this, slander kills three. The one who speaks it, the one who listens to it, and the one to whom it's spoken about. So slander or gossip, it kills three. It kills the person who, who speaks it, it kills the person who hears it, and it kills the person who it's spoken about. Thomas Watson says almost the same thing, very similar way. He says, uh, he says the slanderer carries the devil in his tongue, and he that receives it carries the devil in his ear. It's funny how we think about the idea of gossiping uh, we think about the person who shares the gossip as being really guilty of sin. Like we think, of, like that person's horrible. How dare them share gossip? But we think of the person who's willing to listen to gossip as an innocent bystander, right? What, they're, they're just there listening. They didn't do anything wrong. They just heard what the other person had to say. But what I want to suggest to you is that the, just the willingness to listen to gossip is sin. And at its core, there's a breaking of the ninth commandment. Here's what scripture says about the person who listens to gossip. It's Proverbs 17, 4. It says this, an evildoer listens to wicked lips, and a liar gives ear to a mischievous tongue. Scripture seems to indicate that even being willing to listen to gossip is wrong. So what do you do when the gossip comes to you, and they want to tell you things that are going to hurt the reputation of someone else that you love and that they know? First, you got to ask yourself this, um, is there a good reason for me to know this? Like, are you in some level of leadership uh, where the information would be important for you to know in order to make decisions to keep people safe? Uh, sometimes people have come to me in the past and they've told me true things that might otherwise be gossip, but because I pastor this church and, and have the responsibility to keep certain people safe, I need to know that this person has a dangerous background and we need to think about that as a way of leadership. That might be a good reason for you to receive such a damaging uh, account of someone's character. Does it pertain to you keeping your family safe or does it pertain to you keeping others safe? If not, you need to ask yourself, why do I need to know this? 
Why do I need to know that so-and-so ran around on his wife or, or that so-and-so had too much to drink last week? And is this really important? You can simply tell the, the, kind of the person that gossips, that kind of stuff breaks my heart. I don't, I don't want to hear about it. I, let's talk about something else. Refuse to participate in the, the gossip that they're spreading. We begin today talking about uh, the ninth commandment. It commands us uh, not to bear false witness against our neighbor. And we saw some examples kind of talking through Emmett Till and Jesse Smollett about how giving false testimony in the court of law can really cause damage. We also discovered that you can bear false witness about somebody and not be in a court of law. You can just be speaking lies about them out in the community. We also discovered that you can break the ninth commandment by gossiping even when the things that you say are true. Finally, we discovered that, that we shouldn't even participate in gossip by being willing to listen to it. Because in doing so, we are participating in breaking the ninth commandment of God's law. Friends, as always, I, I want to end by asking this question. Where are you guilty of bearing a false witness? Have you, uh, have you been in a court situation where you've been sworn in and you've told a lie? Maybe protect, predict a, or protect a, a, a business or a family's friends or something like that? Have you told a lie about others in your community to make them look bad or make yourself look good? Have you shared something that's true in a way that will damage someone's reputation to someone else who really had no business knowing that? Um, I believe that if you do the self-examination today that you will realize that you are guilty of uh, bearing a false witness. I believe that you'll be convicted of sin. And the only remedy for the problem of sin is the cross. Jesus went to the cross to bear the sins for his people. To die for you because you were a lawbreaker, because you are a false witness. Um, I think that you should take very seriously the command to stop lying and gossiping because God hates it. I, I just think you need to do that. But it won't save your soul if you're able to do that. The only hope for sinners like you and me is the grace that comes by faith in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you believe that Jesus is Lord? Do you believe that he died for your sins on Calvary? Do you believe that he was resurrected the third day? And will you follow his rule in your life? The law shows us our need for Jesus. It shows us how to worship God. It shows us how to put our faith in Jesus. Friends, this has been the ninth commandment. You shall not bear false testimony against your neighbor. I want to call us now to, uh, to pray and in doing so uh, to confess our sins before the Lord. I'll lead us into a season of that, and we'll have some, some time of quiet confession, and then we will enjoy the ministry of music once more before receiving the benediction. Let's pray together. Father, good is your word, and does its work in our hearts. It's like a seed that gets planted inside our souls, and it grows, it produces in us repentance, conviction, produces in us righteousness. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your law. First, it, it teaches us that we are, uh, are not good people. 
I guess if, if, if your law wasn't there, God, we'd just all going around evaluating ourselves on our own standards, thinking, I'm a good person, I'm a good person. But in this nine weeks that we have been going through the Ten Commandments weekly, we're reminded that we're lawbreakers. So thanks for that. Thank you for your law that tells us that we're lawbreakers. Because without it, we might not know how much we need Jesus. Christ, have mercy. We need you. We are, we are nothing but wretched sinners. Our righteousness is filthy rags. Here now, the ways that we are aware that your spirit has revealed to us that we have broken the law and sinned. God, our, our uh, conviction of sin is on, only limited by uh, our own willingness to, to kind of do that work of uh, self-looking, looking at ourselves and, and your Spirit's graciousness to show us where our sin is. I thank you for the promises that, uh, that because of the blood of Jesus, as far as the north is from the south, so far has our sin been separated from us. Uh, Christ Jesus, your name is is that great name that is worthy of all praise that is above every other name because of the work of grace you did on the cross and because of the atonement of our sin. And so you are worthy of our praise today. You're the worthy of our singing. Praise be to the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And all the church said, amen. Hey, let's sing uh, or let's enjoy the ministry of music once more. Amen. Jesus, I surrender all to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in His presence daily. Thy 
blessings fall on me, I surrender all, I surrender all, all to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender Next week, we will be concluding the final sermon in our uh, Ten Commandments series, and it's about coveting, and uh, I'm convicted already, man, like I know that, that of all of them, that like I break that one pretty, pretty regularly, uh, so God, um, God bless, God be merciful. After that, we're going to start a, a sermon series the next week uh, called Misunderstood Doctrines. We're going to look at a lot of the doctrines of the church that get misunderstood, look at what scripture says about those. Uh, we have heard t- today and been gathered around the word of God and heard the ninth commandment that thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor. Friends, we are liars. It hurts when people lie against us. We have a tendency to lie about other people. We have a tendency to be gossips. Even when the gossip is true, it can be breaking the ninth commandment. Guard your mouth. Go now. And as you go, take with you the love of God, the grace of Christ Jesus' Son, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Let's enjoy the ministry of music one more time. To Jesus I surrender, now I feel the sacred flame, oh the joy of full salvation, glory, glory to his name, I surrender all, I surrender To Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. It was wonderful to be back with you all this week. Until next time, God bless.